0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, historian Bill Federer will share the strength and genius of an amazing American, Booker T. Washington. Friends, each year Southwest Radio Ministries creates a unique calendar from differing parts of the world, filled with scripture, comfort, and inspiration from God's Word. We're privileged to put these together for you and know You are then armed with His truth for the year to come. This year's calendar theme is Unseen Israel. This 16-month calendar features beautiful photographs that reveal sites that are not often visited by tour groups or focus on views that are not often seen in pamphlets or pointed out by tour guides. These locations are important in understanding the history and culture of ancient Israel. Order your Unseen Israel calendar today. 1-800-652-1144 that's 1-800-652-1144 you can also order these beautiful calendars at our website swrc.com we also partner with each of you who purchase a calendar to encourage prisoners in our onesimus prison ministry for every calendar you order a calendar will be given to a prisoner free of charge Order your calendar and encourage a prisoner. Calendars are here and ready to ship out today. Order yours when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Staff Evangelist Josh Davis recently spoke with historian and author Bill Federer about the amazing life of Booker T. Washington. Let's listen as Bill Federer
1: reveals the outstanding strength and genius of this amazing American. We're excited to welcome back one of our favorite guests here on Watchmen on the Wall, author and speaker William J. Federer. Bill, we welcome you back to Watchmen on the Wall today.
2: Josh, great to be with you.
1: We're going to discuss a story that is so inspirational. It goes from post-Civil War history in a slave hut to university president. Again, one of the most inspiring stories in American history. Bill, who is this person that we're talking about, and why is it important that we know about their life? Well, it's Booker
2: T. Washington, and he's the first black man to have his image on a U.S. coin, on a U.S. postage stamp, and to have dinner in the White House with President Theodore Roosevelt to be the president of a university, Tuskegee University, he went over and had dinner with the Queen of England, Queen Victoria. But it all started in a slave hut. He was born in 1856 before the end of the Civil War. And it's just one of the most inspiring stories because it traces through this important part of American history that is called Reconstruction. And it's where the war ends and how Lincoln was a Republican, a first Republican president, and he freed the slaves. And the Democrats had slavery. And after the war, they pushed through Jim Crow laws and black codes and started the KKK and so forth. And so he lived through that, and uh, he had such a tremendous attitude that is inspiring even to us today.
1: Can you tell us some about the early life of Booker T. Washington?
2: Yeah. I love the quote where he was talking about growing up. He said how his mother prayed when they were praying for the end of slavery. He writes, I was asked not long ago to tell something about sports and pastimes that I was engaged in during my youth until that question was asked. It had never occurred to me that there was no period of my life that was devoted to play. From the time that I can remember anything, almost every day of my life has been occupied in some kind of labor. And so he talks about growing up on the slave plantation and even working as a child. Then you had uh, Ulysses S. Grant. He said, as soon as slavery fired on the flag, it was felt, we all felt that slavery must be destroyed. We felt that it was a strain to the union that men should be bought and sold like cattle. And then Lincoln said, whenever I hear anyone arguing for slavery, I feel a strong impulse to see it tried on them personally. Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) Mm.
2: And so you have uh, Booker T, and the Emancipation Proclamation was read, and he said, there was more singing in the slave quarters than usual. Most of the verses of the plantation songs had some reference to freedom. Some man who seemed to be a stranger, a United States officer, I presume, made a little speech and read a rather long paper, the Emancipation Proclamation. After the reading, we were told that we were all free and could go when and where we pleased. My mother, who was standing by my side, leaned over and kissed her children while tears of joy ran down her cheek. She explained to us what it all meant, that this was the day for which she had been so long praying, but fearing that she would never live to see it. Then he he goes on to say that the wild rejoicing on the part of the emancipated colored people lasted, but for a brief time. For I noticed that by the time they returned to their cabins, there was a change in their feeling. That great responsibility of being free, of having charge of themselves, of having to think and plan for themselves and their children seemed to take possession of them. It was very much like a sudden turning a youth out of 10 or 12 out into the world to provide for himself. In a few hours, the great questions which had thrown upon these people to be solved, there were questions as to a home, a living, rearing children, education, citizenship. And the establishment of support of churches. And so Booker T. Washington talks about how he uh, never met his father, and his mother and his stepfather moved, he moved with them to West Virginia, and that he worked three jobs, and he wanted his stepfather to allow him to go to school, but he said they couldn't afford it. And so he had to work in a coal mine. And then in a salt furnace, and what's a salt furnace? Well, water would bubble up from the ground, and sometimes it would come through a salt deposit, and when it got to the pond, it was a salty pond. And you could tell, because in wintertime, the pond would never freeze over, and the deers would come and lick the rocks around the pond. They would take water from this pond and boil off the water, and the salt crystals were left, and so that is called the salt furnace. And then he finally talked his dad into letting him go to school. So he would wake up early and work and then go to school, you know, after the coal mine. And then after school would go back to work. And then he would even work like another job after that and come home and do the same thing the next day. He said, I did something that I'm not proud of, but I'd always be late for school because of my work. And so sometimes I would turn the finger in the clock ahead so that it would and sooner or so I could make it to school on time. And he said that the foreman no, kept noticing it, and finally put the, the clock in a, in a box with a lock and key. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he said he wanted to go to school that bad. And then his mom got him to be the house servant for a family, but all the money went to the stepfather because they had to use it to support the family. So he wasn't getting it. He then saved up enough money and he walked and hitchhiked and got on a train and made his way to Hampton Institute in Virginia. And it was a school started by the son of a Hawaiian missionary. And the school was there to help slaves. it's called the Freeman's College because the, the blacks were not free. And so these were union generals that would start these different colleges, today they're called the traditional legacy black colleges, but they were started by these union generals. So this was General Samuel Chapman Armstrong, mm-hmm. and Booker T. Washington came to respect him, and he is, his father had been the pastor of the Kauai Haua Church in Honolulu, and which was the national church of the Kingdom of Hawaii, where King Kamehameha III was appointed and so forth. So here you have Booker T. Washington. He talks about when he first got to the school, how he had to. Uh, the principal wasn't was a woman, wasn't sure if she was going to admit him, and so she asked him to sweep a room, and he said, I swept that room three times and I went over it with a rag and I got all the dust. He says, I learned how to do that when I was a, a servant in that house, you know, back in, in West Virginia, and, mm-hmm. and she said that the, the teacher came in and took a, a white cloth and rubbed it, and she. So there wasn't any dirt. And so she admitted him. And and he said, I passed the sweeping test. (laughs) And the school was one where obviously nobody had money. And so all the students worked to help pay the tuition. And so he worked as a janitor. And he said, while he was a janitor, he got to know the staff of the school and got to know the inner workings of the school, which later helped him when he became the president of Tuskegee. After graduation, he goes to Wayland Bible Seminary in Washington, D.C., which was, again, one of those Freeman colleges that was started. He then goes back to West Virginia, works three jobs. He's a Sunday school teacher at the AME Church, African Methodist Episcopal Church. And then he's invited to go back and give a talk at Hampton Institute. And they're so impressed, they invite him to come on staff. Then after two years, they government in Alabama wants to start a Freeman's college and they contact Hampton Institute and says, Well, is there somebody that you'd recommend to be the president? And up until this point, all the presidents were white. Samuel Chapman Armstrong suggested that Booker T. Washington be the president of the new school. And so he's the first black president of a university in America. He goes down to Alabama, there is no building and no campus, so they meet at an AME church, African Methodist Episcopal Church. He has his students bake the bricks that they build the buildings with, and then he constructs his university. One of the quotes that he uses, he says, the surest way to lift up ourselves is to lift up somebody else. If you want to lift yourself up, lift up somebody else. There are two ways of exerting one's strength. One is pushing down and the other is pulling up. A race, like an individual, lifts itself up by lifting up others. There is no escape. Man drags man down or man lifts man up.
1: We're visiting with author and speaker William J. Federer and describing his brand new book, The Strength and Genius of Booker T. Washington. This is a riveting life that we need to be aware of. He went from a slave hut to university president, and it's one of the most inspiring stories in American history. And you can pick up a copy of this by calling our ministry at 1 800 652 1144 or by visiting swrc.com. As we're continuing to talk, we've been through Booker T. Washington's early life into his education and into his becoming the president of a university in Alabama. How does the story continue?
2: Well, he ends up being visited at the university by Carnegie, Andrew Carnegie, the steel industrialist, Hmm. and then William McKinley. He actually goes to Washington, D.C., and invites President William McKinley, the 25th president, to come to Tuskegee. He does. And then again with Teddy Roosevelt and then William Howard Taft. And he's, these presidents are coming and giving recognition to the university. He gives a phenomenal address at the Atlanta Exposition. So this is like a World's Fair. It's in the 1890s and in Atlanta. And he is talking about how he's walking a tightrope because he says, That again, he's in the Democrat South where there's racism, that the Democrats were the ones that had the slaves, Lincoln Republican freed the slaves. And so he's down in the Democrat South. And you have these people saying, if if he's getting too pushy, too uh, uppity, uh, he'll get retaliated on. Mm. Because when Rutherford B. Hayes made a deal with the Democrats to pull the federal troops out and end Reconstruction. In the South, you had these vigilante groups called the KKK and, and these different ones, and they would do violence. And so if he was too forward in wanting to push the, the cause of the black man, he could expect Democrat retaliation. And, and But then he had all of his black brothers and sisters that are there, and they're like, you're the first one that's getting national attention, and please, you know, plead our cause and stand up for us. And so he gives this amazing address where he says a boat is off the coast of South America and there's in that area is called the deldrums where there's no wind mm-hmm. and, and so the boat doesn't move. It just sits there and all their water runs out. They call it the horse latitudes because if they were bringing horses, they ran out of water the horses were the first ones they'd push overboard. And so anyway, he says there's a boat off the coast of South America and they spot a distant boat and they said, come and help us bring us water. And the message comes back, you know, they sort of do Morse code, but with flags. The message comes back, cast down your buckets where you are. And the, the struggling boat says, again, water, water, please come over, bring us water. And then the, the message comes back, cast down your, your buckets where you're at. It's like, you know, they're thinking to themselves, we're in the middle of the Atlantic, we're not in the middle, but we're in the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of South America. And then it happens a third time. And then they finally cast the buckets down. They pull it up as fresh water. Mm. Lo and behold, it's the mouth of the Amazon River that pushes fresh water 200 miles out into the ocean. And if you happen to be in that path, you get fresh water. Booker T. Washington says, we need to cast our buckets down where we're at. And he says to the white people that are there, he says, you've known us for centuries. You've seen our work ethic. We've been around you. Just trust us. And then he says to the others that are part of his race, he says, "Here we are we're we're here, let's work hard, let's apply ourselves and so that speech is published in the newspaper, and it is spread all around the nation hmm. and one of the people that reads it is george Washington Carver and so Booker T. Washington is inviting black, successful scholars to Tuskegee. One of those is George Washington Carver, and he comes there and He writes the letter and says, I cannot offer you money, position, or fame. The first two you now have, because he's at the Iowa University. The first two you now have, and the the last you're no doubt going to achieve. These I ask you to give up, and in their place I offer you work. Hard, hard work, but the knowledge of bringing people from degradation, poverty, and waste to full manhood. Signed, Booker T. Washington. Mm. George Washington Carver writes back, says, I look forward to doing all I can through Christ who strengtheneth me to better the condition of our people. And he says, moreover, you have the correct answer to the race problem and that he heard of his address in Atlanta. And Booker T invites other people. One was Robert Robinson Taylor. He's the first accredited African-American architect, mm-hmm. and he was a graduate of MIT. And he comes down to Tuskegee, and he designs over 100 campus buildings, mm-hmm. and the students construct them with bricks made there on campus. and. One of the things he says, no race can prosper till it learns that there is as much dignity in tilling a field as in writing a poem. And so he says, we need to work. We need to become successful. He said one of the challenges he had was they were worked so hard as slaves that once they got free, some thought they didn't have to work. He said, no, 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 you still work, but you just benefit from your work. Booker T. Washington was invited to go speak around the country at YMCAs. To all kinds of different groups, and he is making an international impact. He's getting letters from around the world, inviting him to come over and help them, and he says, my students will go around the world. And so just inspiring story. One of the quotes that he said was that uh, he never allowed anyone to degrade his soul by making him hate him, Mm. and that every wise man nurtures friendship with his neighbors, whether they be white or black. And so George Washington Carver, who was there at Tuskegee, said a similar thing. He says, thank God I love humanity. Complexion doesn't interest me one single bit. This attitude was one of working together, working hard. And then he says, no matter how busy I am, I always make it a point to read the Bible every morning. Mm. That's one of the things he writes about when he was going to Hampton Institute, that a couple of the lady teachers encouraged him to get into the habit of reading the Bible every day. He kept that up throughout his entire life. So I think that this is somebody that is worth remembering, somebody that is worth emulating, that we have crises today and that this Christian attitude that he had is the answer to it. And if we have time, there's another individual that comes onto the scene, W.E.B. Bois, and he has a different attitude. I talk about him in the back of the book, but again, the title of the book is The Strength and Genius of Booker T. Washington. It's just an inspiring book of somebody that started As a slave, but ended up making a national and international impact.
1: Yes, we'd love for you to continue this story that you're sharing with us. And we're visiting with author and speaker William J. Federer about the strength and genius of Booker T. Washington. It's available by calling 1 800 652 1144 or by visiting us online at swrc.com. We do have a few minutes remaining so you can continue this marvelous story about the life. And the impact of Booker T. Washington.
2: There was a Harvard elite person named W. E. B. Du Bois, and he said that the answer to the race problem is not what Booker T is, it's demand reparations. And he criticized Booker T. W. E. B. Du Bois then went over to Germany and praised the socialists there. He went over to the Soviet Union four times, even met Stalin and praised the socialism in the U- USSR. And then he went over to China, and he meets Mao Zedong and uh, praises Chinese socialism and communism, mm. even though millions of people are being killed. Then W.E.B. DuBois, in 1960, joins the U.S. Communist Party. Then he repudiates his American citizenship, goes over to Ghana, where he dies.
3: Mm.
2: Yet, it was this Teaching of W.E.B. Du Bois that gradually infiltrated academia. That's where you get the Black Lives Matter, the Antifa, the agitating, demanding versus the Booker T. Washington that says, "Let's work hard and let's pool our resources." And matter of fact, one of the uh, the Harvard gave Booker T. an honorary degree, mm. and the president of Harvard said that more millionaires were made from Tuskegee than Harvard had put out. Wow. So this um, amazing story is one that is often forgotten. But this is a letter that uh, Harvard President Charles Eliot wrote May 28, 1896. Dear Sir, Harvard University desires to confer upon you at the approaching commencement an honorary degree but is our custom to confer the degrees only on gentlemen who are present? Would you be possible to come? And so he says, yes. Harvard President Charles Elliott said at the 25th anniversary of Tuskegee in 1906, by 1905, Tuskegee produced more self-made millionaires than Harvard. Yale and Princeton combined. And then Dartmouth awarded Booker T an honorary degree. So they had a, a black Wall Street. There was one in North Carolina, and there was one in Tulsa. And it was Tremendous with insurance companies and businesses, but then you had a, a Democrat riot in Tulsa, and it burned this district and mm. killed lots of people. It's horrible. And the Republican president, Warren G. Harding, condemns the violence and goes to the main a black college in America, in Pennsylvania, speaks at the commencement, shakes the hands of every single graduate. Then you have, it's called um, the Black Princeton It's Lincoln University in Pennsylvania. Then you had Calvin Coolidge, and he is a Republican, and he condemned the violence. And then Teddy Roosevelt and others specifically condemned lynchings. So the Tuskegee Institute did a uh, survey, and there were uh, over nearly 5,000 documented lynchings, and 1,000 of those were white Republicans in the South registering the free blacks to vote. It wasn't a black-white issue, it was a Democrat-Republican issue. Lincoln freed the slaves. Republican Teddy Roosevelt had Booker T in the White House for dinner. You had Republican Warren G. Harding and Calvin Coolidge and Taft all going down to Tuskegee and encouraging. And then you had these Southern Democrats with their KKK. Ulysses S. Grant started the Department of Justice to stop the KKK, the vigilante group that the Democrats had started in the South. So again, it's not a black-white issue. It was, it was a Republican-Democrat issue. It wasn't a um, hardware problem, it was a software problem, mm. is what the, the teachings were. When you look at the two individuals, here they are, and even in their lifetimes, when W.E.B. Bois would criticize Booker T, Booker T said, there are some race problem solvers that don't want the patient to get well. As long as the disease holds out, they have an easy way of making a living mm. by advertising the grievances of the black man. Booker T was, let's get past this, and it was working until you had LBJ, and LBJ decided to switch from the Democrat policy of intimidation to entitlement. And so LBJ intentionally wanted to get as many minorities to sign up for welfare as a base to build a party, that these are sort of a front door, back door approach. There was a couple named Cloward and Piven. Richard Cloward, Francis Pitten were Columbia University professors, and they said, you can't institute communism with tanks. You have to do it through the back door. You have to destabilize the economy and then get everybody to sign up for welfare, and then you control them and their lives through their dependency. And so this was called the Great Society Welfare State that was instituted by LBJ. When he was talking to these Democrat senators, they didn't want to go along with it. And he says, we will have those, and then he uses the N-word. Voting Democrat the next 200 years. Mm. And so that was LBJ doing what's called the big switch from intimidation to entitlement. So we have today the um, people that are, you know, the Ben Carsons, the Clarence Thomas, the Larry Elder, the Tim Scott. These are black individuals who's, who have overcome great opposition and become successful. They are examples and inspirations. But on the other side, you have the Black Lives Matter and and the different ones who are demanding reparations—it's today, but you trace the seeds of it back to the Booker T. Washington versus the W.E.B. Du Bois, hmm. and I think that Booker T. Washington's attitude is superior because it's—it's hmm. it's all based on the Bible and loving and working hard and this process of encouraging. People to become economically independent rather than dependent. So it's a fascinating book. It's called The Strength and Genius of Booker T. Washington. I've written it together with my son.
1: Mm-hmm. And we thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for joining us again on Watchmen on the Wall. Thank
3: you.
0: Booker T. Washington was a towering figure in American history. His story, from slave hut to university president, is one of the most inspiring in American history learn about this amazing american in bill federer's book the strength and genius of booker t washington 1-800-652-1144 is the number to call to order your copy of the strength and genius of booker t washington 1-800-652-1144 historians refer to the years 1880 through 1915 as the age of booker t washington in this book You will learn how Booker T. Washington was a man of faith. You'll be inspired by the strength and genius of Booker T. Washington. Order your copy today. 1-800-652-1144 That's 1-800-652-1144 Or you can order online, swrc.com Lord willing, we'll be back here Monday, ready to once again bring clarity to the chaos. Head into the weekend with the encouragement that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.